Okay, so the company I work at has this main website, right? Where you can check on what clients you're working on, submit your timesheet, look up training materials, etc, etc. But noticeably, right there in the middle of the front page is this interesting section called the Exchange, which is basically a forum where staff can create posts and discuss matters. Now, typically the kind of things that people post about are stuff like where to find resources, what company event is coming up, or even the odd person selling tickets or renting out their apartments. However, after working here for more than a year, I've noticed that there's one thing that keeps coming up again Why is level 9 so cold? And again What's up with the aircon in level 23? And again How do you work in such freezing conditions? So, while racking my brain for new content, I figured, hey, wouldn't this make for an interesting topic? Oh my god, yes! My office is always so cold That's my wife, Effie and that was her reaction when I told her I was thinking about doing an episode on freezing office air conditioning. You mean you're cold all the time? Yeah. I mean, it's not all the time, but uh, it does get inconvenient. Like when you just have a bare minimum clothes, when you go to work or go to office, you always have to remember bring another piece of clothes. And uh, when you forget about bringing clothes, hopefully there's a kettle or a coffee machine so you can make yourself some hot drink. Otherwise, your finger gets so rigid, it's really hard to type. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow down, slow down. So how big of a problem is this actually? It's huge. Huge? Huge. <laughs> huge. So, yeah. In this week's episode, we're talking about office air conditioning. Huge. <laughs> Hello, 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 and you're tuning in to an episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. I thought a good place to start would be to establish the parameters of our investigation, such as what the problem is or what it is that we are precisely looking to answer, which will of course help to guide our research as we go along. This can be done by simply understanding the issue better and by prodding more into the experiences of those suffering under the plight of a freezing work environment. To this end, I had already talked to Effie, but since she is in America and works at a university, perhaps another more local source might add more perspective. Hi, my name is Myri and I'm an auditor at KPMG. This is Mayuri, a colleague of mine at work who has sportingly agreed to talk to us about the issue of air conditioning. I'm doing an episode on office air conditioning and why it's so cold. So can you share your experiences on this? Oh, sure. Um, so in my office, right, we just moved back to our regular place after this like, big renovation. And the AC was super, super cold and I hate it. So I remember actually bringing my laptop and all my stuff to the pantry and then I used the pantry as my working space because it was warmer. And then the funny thing about this is that when I was starting working there, right, I actually see a few people actually doing the same thing. <laughs> it was such a big trouble for us at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So then um, aside from you having to, to, to move to the pantry to work, right, how specifically does 
working in the cold, you know, affect your your work productivity? Um. Okay. So. For the office worker like me, right? We have to document down a lot of information and data.、Mm-hmm. So as oh, and also we have like loads of email to reply and loads of email to write every day. So working in such cold weather, like like cold atmosphere, cold like condition like this, is quite troublesome for us because like my fingers will be really really freezing and stiff. I cannot type、mm-hmm. basically, and when it gets too cold, I just don't feel like walking. To discuss with my colleague, which is like actually we're a team, right? And we're supposed to talk to each other. But then it become a little bit difficult because like the code just make me become more idle, I guess. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So in such cold conditions, right? What are some of the things you do to keep yourself warm? Oh, I have like、um, a few cups of. Hot tea or coffee. Since I'm I was in the pantry anyway, so I just get some of those. Okay. And for those days, I forgot to bring my cardigan. I just steal my team's jacket. Okay, so that gives us something to work with. From what I've gathered by talking to both Effie and Mayuri, the main problem with the cold is how it affects your productivity. This is as working in such conditions makes it uncomfortable to perform basic tasks such as typing or sending emails. On a secondary basis, the cold brings additional inconveniences, such as having to carry extra clothing, constantly making hot drinks, or even relocating away from your desk, which, while not directly impacting your work, is still substantial enough for people to complain about. Therefore, as an initial starting point, the question I think we should be looking at is how true this is as it pertains to office work and why it persists. More on this after a quick break. The first thing that jumps to mind is that we should be mindful in making the right comparisons. Large offices have different air conditioning layouts as compared to small ones, or even that in your house, where you may typically find individual wall-mounted AC units in smaller locations such as single rooms or meeting rooms. This is impractical for big office floors covering hundreds of staff. Therefore, for large spaces, the more efficient cooling system would be to use a centralized system with multiple overhead air ducts strategically located around the premises. This provides for more even airflow, is less of an eyesore, and is usually centrally controlled, which makes life easier for your company secretary or facilities manager. But the one obvious downside to this system. Is that you give up flexibility, where you may be able to regulate the temperature of individual units through your remote controls. Centralized units are more of a one-stop solution kind of thing. Now, why this difference matters is because it can explain some of the behaviors that we've seen so far. In our case, as an employee working alongside hundreds of others at a large company. Your options to dealing with the cold are affected by precisely this inflexibility. 
You could try and change the temperature yourself if possible, but this runs the risk of making the office too warm for others. And if your newly disgruntled co-workers are particularly prone to sweating or having terrible body odor, then this move will likely make everyone worse off. Of course, with that many people in the office, chances are that you will not be the only one feeling like they're working in a freezer. And if enough people are put off by the cold, then this will be stronger ground for raising the temperature. Provided, and this is crucial here, that you voice out your collective disgruntlement. After all, your office managers are not mind readers, nor do they have all day to check up on how you're handling the cold. So they would need a heads up before they can take action. Which probably explains the multiple posts on my company's forum about their freezing work environment. In fact, if you think about it, this constraint of a centralized system can also help to explain why most staff would just wear extra clothing. While ideally you would like a cooling system that could cater to each individual's needs and preferences, this seems like it would be incredibly expensive to install and kind of ridiculous to request. Therefore, between the remaining options of starting a thermostat war in the office, leaving your job, or kicking up a fuss about the cold, putting on a few extra layers just seems like the most feasible option. Sure, it's not office climate utopia with individual cooling pods for each staff, but at the same time, it's probably the simplest solution amongst the other potentially messy alternatives. So, satisfied with my deduction of office constraints and staff behavior, I ran it by Effie to see what she thought of it. So, you read the bit about the centralized system and how it's inflexible, right? Yeah. And what did you think? It's like a neat little piece of game theory right there. Hmm. Doesn't really explain much. Explain much? Wait. What? It explains all the stuff about the forum posts and the cardigans and hot drinks and, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. But why is this set so cold though? Huh? Um, what, what do you mean? Like, why do you set such a low temperature in the first place? Oh. Oh. Hmm. Right. Looks like I have some more work to do. After doing a bit more digging, this is where things start to get a little interesting. There it was. There I was thinking it was just me that had a problem, but it turns out it's the air conditioning that's sexist. This is from a short segment done by the British news station Sky News back in 2015. I know. Um, so many women in our office have the exact same problem. You know, we just sit there absolutely freezing at our desks trying to type. Um, you can probably tell I've got a cold right now, which I blame all on the AC. And that's Radhika Sangani a journalist for the British newspaper The Telegraph. 
The reason why Radhika is on this segment is because she wrote a piece titled Air Conditioning in Your Office is Sexist, True Story, where she would bring up the very issue of a freezing work environment and how it particularly affects women more than men, hence the title. Um, and so it's just so actually quite nice to see this research. Um, it's just such a relief to know that there's actually proof that this is happening, that women, you know, do feel the cold more than men, and that the AC in offices is normally regulated more for a male's temperature than a woman's. But what sets Radhika apart from all the other complaints about office temperature, however, is her persistence on using scientific evidence to back her claims. In her article, she cites a study done by researchers at the University of Utah that found that although women had higher core temperatures than men, their hands were consistently colder, measuring in at an average of 30.67 degrees Celsius as compared to 32.22 degrees for men. In fact, after looking more into this, I found other pieces of evidence that bolsters Radhika's claim of sexist air conditioning. Here's a particularly stunning fact highlighted by Dr. Carl Krutzelniki for the website RN. And for the last 50 years, the air conditioning settings in our buildings have followed the famous and sexist Standard 55. Standard 55 is a set of guidelines for how to regulate indoor temperature and humidity. It was introduced in 1966 by the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration and Air Conditioning Engineers. They considered environmental factors like temperature and humidity and some human factors, the metabolic rate and the clothing worn by office workers. And you guessed it, the human they chose to base that on was a 40-year-old man weighing 70 kilograms and dressed in a full 60s business suit. And all modern air conditioning systems are set up to follow this famous standard 55. And this point becomes even more egregious with a recent study published in the journal Natural Climate Change in 2015. In it, the paper's authors Boris Kingma and Walter van Marken Lichtenbelt examined the impact that the allegedly sexist Standard 55 might have. Notably, they found that the metabolic rate of the 70-kilogram 40-year-old man used in the Standard may overestimate the rate for an average woman by up to 35%. Thus, it logically follows that because women tend to generate less heat, that they would prefer a higher room temperature. It would appear, then, that there is quite a bit of credence to this specific claim of gender discrimination. of this. While this episode started off with a seemingly quirky inquiry, it has now delved into some rather thorny issues. And although it might not be pertinent as other mainstream feminist issues such as the pay gap or the glass ceiling, 
it does harken back to certainly antiquated notions of gender relations in the workplace. Things like who gets to control the thermostat, who the standard was based on and aims to serve, or even the number of female professionals working in the office back in the 60s. Just because something has changed in these last 50 years doesn't mean it's okay to just sweep away or bury these issues. And from the standpoint of freezing offices and the explicitly abundant majority of women complaining about this condition, it is, at the very least, worth discussing. With that being said, however, discussion doesn't mean free from criticism, and especially when you drag issues into the political spotlight, you can expect a great deal of backlash. What started out as an onion joke, seriously, it was a joke in the onion, that air conditioning is sexist, has become real life. Like most things that normal people enjoy, liberals are upset about it. In today's feminist classic, we take a look at the brave young woman who recently fought for and won one of the most important of rights, the right to control the AC's temperature and an indoor office job. So two weeks ago in This Week in Stupid, I featured an article on The Telegraph by Radhika Sanghai. Radhika had effectively just read an article in The Washington Post where a bunch of social scientists had claimed that women were generally too cold in offices because of air conditioning and decided that what she would do is write exactly the same article from her own perspective, press publish and call it a day. Now, this is why I try my best to avoid dragging politics on this podcast. Most of the time, there's really no debate or discussion at all, and it often devolves to just people on opposing political spectrums grandstanding and holding firm and not really listening. The consequence of which is that you muddy the very waters that you are trying to uncover. Case in point, our issue of freezing office air conditioning. Now, this issue surfaced in 2015, largely from Radhika Sky News interview, as well as the backlash that it received. But what has it accomplished? Why are women still freezing in their offices today? If it really was just a case of gender discrimination, then wouldn't it be an easy fix to just bump up the temperature a couple of degrees or to include a more balanced demographic in Standard 55? In this case, I'm more inclined to think that the narrative of sexist air conditioning is a pretty underwhelming resolution. Now, don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying that these gender issues don't matter or don't exist. I'm just saying that I really doubt that it tells the whole story. With that being said, let's dive a little deeper into this. One of the more interesting articles that I've found is this piece written by Dr. Bjarn Wernick Olsen, Professor of Civil Engineering at the Technical University of Denmark. 
What's interesting about this piece is that Dr. Olsen addresses the issue of the sexist Standard 55 raised by Kingma and Lichtenbelt in their Nature Climate Change paper. He points out that contrary to the conclusions reached by Kingma and Lichtenbelt, men and women actually prefer almost the same thermal environments, in a small range between 25 degrees and 25.8 degrees Celsius, as uncovered from three separate studies done in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. As for the issue of different metabolic rates, Olsen mentions that this is balanced by women having lower skin temperature and evaporative loss as uncovered in a 1975 study done by Fanger and Langkild. Crucially, metabolic rates aren't even used in the standard's heat balance equations. In fact, metabolic heat production was merely used as a proxy for activities performed and that the standard is not based on this at all. And if it's starting to sound like a case of misunderstanding or misinformation, then brace yourself for this, because Dr. Olsen also highlights the fact that Kingma and Lichtenbelt's study is quote, not conclusive, which I take as some form of serious academic trash talk. The reason for this is that their study was only performed on 16 females and without any comparison to their male counterparts. By contrast, the earlier studies by Nevin and Fanger had a combined 488 subjects, split evenly between men and women performing the same tasks, wearing the same clothing, and exposed to a wide variety of thermal conditions. These extensive studies, Olsen points out, are the basis for the existing international standards such as Standard 55 or the ISO EN7730 and EN15251, to which he adds, quote, contrary to what has been suggested, these standards are not devised exclusively for men. So, yeah, turns out that Kingma and Lichtenbelt's claims are not that substantial after all. But if you've been observant, you would have noticed that the preferred temperatures found in those studies were at least 25 degrees, and that most offices actually operate at lower temperatures, say 20 to 22 degrees. So what gives? And if both men and women prefer roughly the same temperatures, why does it seem like it's mostly women who experience discomfort? Well, part of the temperature difference may likely be due to other factors that are included in the standard, such as ventilation, humidity, outdoor temperatures, layout of the office, and so on. And it's also interesting to note that there was a literature review done by Sami Karjalainen, a researcher at the VTT Technical Research Center of Finland, who discovered that, quote, clearly more than half of the laboratory and field studies have found that females express more dissatisfaction than males in the same thermal environments. This study also suggested that although there is no significant difference in neutral temperatures between the genders, that females are more sensitive than males to a deviation from an optimal temperature and thus express more dissatisfaction. As it turns out, there are gender differences after all, just not exactly 
where you would expect. And to top it all off, after all the research and investigation, let's now dive into what I think is the most significant factor in this air conditioning story. So lastly, in your view, why do you think the building or office managers keep the temperature this way? Mm, it's like from my personal thinking, I just think that since our um, office manager is a guy, right? And I just feel like the guys are less sensitive to the cold because like, you know, how guys come to the office wearing long sleeve shirt and they wear pants and then they wear like socks. But for girls like us, we come who work wearing like sleepless blouse most of the time and we wear skirts or dresses which don't really cover like protecting you know legs or uh, arms so so yeah we generally become very cold while the guys are pretty much more comfortable in such condition office clothing this i think is the biggest constraint and gender difference in this whole story it's not so much the case that women are unfairly subjected to sexist standards, but that they are more susceptible to feeling cold due to their much wider range and typically lighter clothing. Because the office man's range of formal attire is pretty much limited within the sphere of long sleeve shirts, pants, and shoes, while women have the option to run the gamut from sleeve to sleeveless, pants to skirts, or even dresses, it stands to reason that they would often feel colder just from the simple fact that they tend to have more exposed skin. And to be honest, I think this is a perfectly fine trade-off to make. Like, yeah, women might feel colder, but at least that option is made available to them. Like, I can't tell you how envious I am that my colleagues get to wear these fashionable but super comfortable outfits while I am sitting at my desk in the same shirt and pants combination day in and day out. Like, do you know how unbearable it gets in your morning commute or when you're baking in the sun during your lunch break? Or how psyched I was that Uniqlo started selling flexi waistband office pants? If there is a gripe on how cold it gets in the office, or how air conditioning is sexist, then consider this. If it's too cold, women have the means and option of putting on extra layers. But if it's too warm, men really can't do anything about it beyond rolling up their sleeves. And sure, I understand that the AC problem brings about numerous inconveniences, but if I had the option to come into work wearing a tank top and those super comfy baggy Bali pants, then I'd take that trade-off any day. So you don't you don't ever see you don't ever see men coming to work with like a you know like a tank top or like Oh of course not, of course not. <laughs> or or like shorts or yeah. or yeah. So so what what do you think about this? You know, do you think this is a this this is a trade-off you're willing to accept? Or, you know, would you rather that women's uh, fashion attire be more practical, I would say? Define practical. Oh, practical as in practical for working in the office. <laughs> meaning, I think meaning, like it's, um, already, it's already practical. Like, hmm. Because that's just how you dress when you work with a client, right? You, you dress more professional and it's like as a girl, as a woman, it's good to have like a wide range of fashion because like you become more presentable when you actually meet a client mm. i think it's quite important to build the first impression correct yeah and 
Yeah, and then like if it's cold, just bring a jacket, so it's not a big deal. Like in my point of view,、mm. and for the guy, I think it's it's perfectly fine because for, for them, right?、Um, I think it's just very very easy for them. <laughs> just like、um, what they have to think about every morning is that what kind, of, what color of the shirt I should be wearing at to work. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like for us, for girl, we think about okay, so what type of blouse and then what color and then what kind of skirt is gonna match and then what kind of shoes I should be wearing. So like, since I have this like pedicure or manicure, so what kind of shoes should I be wearing? It's it's much more. Difficult, <laughs> right? But but you're happy to have that choice, right? Of course, yeah. And yeah, with that comes the end to today's episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. There were many twists and turns along the way, but I think our work here has been pretty fruitful. We went through the various constraints and responses that office staff might have, the ways in which air conditioning might or might not be sexist, and even how different fashion options for men and women play into the story. And if there's one takeaway from this episode, I would say that. You shouldn't just believe things at face value. Certainly, there were numerous points in this episode where I was tempted to just leave it and call it a day, but I managed to learn and uncover so much more by always trying to dig a little deeper. So, yeah, if you like this episode, please, please, please do a big favor by sharing or subscribing to the Economical Rice podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify, or by following me on the social media links in the description. Much credit goes to my incredible wife Effie for pushing me and supporting me, to Mayori for speaking on the issue, and to Lian, Mon, and Lingling for their contributions in the introduction. Music for this episode was brought to you by City Girl, Blue Dot Sessions, Podington Bear, and Juan Rios. Links to these tracks will be included in the show notes on the website. So if you're interested, do check them out. And yeah, thanks again for tuning in. This has been your host Danny at the Economical Rice Podcast. We're over here. We hope to serve you the grains of capitalism. <laughs>